Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates. Shift showcases the work being done in the province's innovation ecosystem, everything from health to clean energy. Join hosts Katie Dean and John Hagen as they interview the researchers, entrepreneurs, and businesses that are shifting our perspective about innovation in the province. Find Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at shift.albertainnovates.ca. That's shift.albertainnovates.ca. And we're back, as though, as though we had left. We literally live here. So <laughs> This is our house. We really haven't gone very far. Yeah, yeah not really. Uh, we are planning on taking a little vacation. Oh, but that's uh, not for weeks yet. Yeah, in, in the next couple weeks. Now, this seems as good a time as any to uh, let you know. The plan is that there will be no break. Uh, we will have canned an episode for the week that we go on vacation. And so the episode might be out a little late on the Friday, but it should still be out on the regular Friday. Yeah. Like we were never gone. Yeah. And uh, that does not mean we will be reading ahead and cheating. No, no, because we never read ahead. Yeah. What we will do is we will record an episode uh, the week prior as normal, and then we will then read the next chapter and then record the following yeah. episode just a week, like a few days before we would normally have done it so that we can release it yeah. while we're on vacation. Like we used to. Yeah. yeah. So the moral of the story is, dear listeners, nothing for you will change. But, uh, well, there's always a non-zero chance that something might go awry while we're on vacation and I don't make it back on time on Friday to post it or something goes weird the week before and we're not able to can that uh, extra episode ahead of time. So it is possible we may miss an episode that week. It would be the first time we've missed an episode, to my recollection. Uh, or at least we, yeah, have, I think we certainly so. haven't missed many of them. I think our worst case scenario is that sometimes we post off schedule yeah either early or late yeah so th hopefully that is the case here um, but basically just forewarning you we are actually planning on taking a short vacation coming yeah. up get out of town for a few days still largely distanced from people just in case but uh yeah yeah <laughs> together apart and further apart indeed uh, <laughs> that'll be us so uh just just a little heads up that there might be a slight hiccup in the uh, release schedule but uh hopefully nothing too serious and if you're the kind of listener who saves up a bunch of episodes to binge you can disregard this whole conversation <laughs> yeah literally nothing will change for you but with that said uh we recap chapter 17 of our novel in which our heroes make it to the carthage library and begin some further investigation uh, Nick decides to go and take a wander around campus, has himself a terrifying little nap under a tree, <laughs> and is uh, communicated with by powers from on high. And that leads us into Chapter 18 of Beneath the Rising by Preeby Mohammed. So Nick wakes up from this little nap of his... Almost the same way that I woke up from my sleep this morning. 
which is kind of a fun coincidence. Good. I wasn't having creepy sleep. No, no otherworldly beings were communicating with me, but I was having a very stressful dream. And so when I woke up, I was I was all tense, and everything was yeah weird and wrong and bad and ma. Uh. And that's kind of how Nick wakes up. Someone yeah. is poking him to wake him up, but he wakes up all like groggy and weird and in this kind of fog. All pins and needlesy as yeah. well. Like his body was sleeping funny. Um, and his eyes are, are notably burning as though he's been staring into the sun. Yeah, I did not have that. The person tapping him is a student or a person who works at the library. A little unclear, but they were sent by Johnny to find him. And he's a little bit embarrassed that he went to go and scope out the area and then fell asleep. Yeah, he was the lookout and he fell asleep. Yeah, uh, and lets himself get led back. Johnny doesn't even greet him so much as just acknowledge that he has approached and tells him immediately, hey, there's trouble. And starts diving into everything that's gone wrong in the past couple days. Yeah, apparently thousands of people are already dead. Ha-ha! Um, there has just been a series of natural disasters since basically the hour that Johnny first activated the Impossible Box. Yes. And they've been largely escalating as well. Uh, strange omens, portents, and signs, things like rivers running red and rains of frogs and boils on the firstborn, stuff like that. It's <laughs> it's not quite the plagues of Egypt, but... It, it's creeping up on it. Right, Johnny notices a through line, yeah. right, where all of these uh, various news agencies around the world are reporting these unusual things and these weird disasters, and she seems to be the only one who's linked them all together right Well, now. Be- that's because she has the wider perspective. She knows that it all lines up with her activating the impossible box and accidentally waking up the ancient ones. Yeah. Whereas for everyone else, it's just a coincidental series of catastrophes wow. that have all occurred. Some yeah. weird stuff's happening. Suffice to say, though, Johnny is spooked, and she's now worried this is actually much bigger than she originally thought, and that her projections might be off. Like, she's really spooked. Yeah. Like, spooked to the point where she has dominated the conversation to the point where Nick can't tell her about his creepy dream before he forgets about it. I mean, he's largely forgotten about it, I get the impression, practically from the moment he wakes up. Yeah. Like, because it's, while it was a very real and lucid dream in the moment, it has the staying power of an actual dream. And because he was quickly distracted, he hasn't been able to think about it and dwell on it and retain it. Right. He starts. He starts. There's something there that he needs to get out. And he starts. And Johnny cuts him off with something else. And it's gone. Yeah. Like he forgets. Yep. Johnny hasn't given into despair. There is still some hope. And there is, according to her, at least one more source that they can tap for information. And thankfully, they don't have to travel because he's actually local to Carthage. It's a guy by the name of Akhmatov, who she describes as a friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. So to me, a friend of a friend of a friend is someone you maybe met once politely. Or you were told about by a person who you met once politely. Right. At a party for somebody else. Exactly. Johnny has also apparently pulled those strings, what she has, because she mentions that several warships have uh, converged in the Gulf from several different competing powers, and uh, nobody seems to know who ordered them there, but they're all ready for a fight, and- but they're uh, all just sitting there. Things are getting tense. Suffice to say, this is the implication that she has her nuclear option on hand, essentially. <laughs> but she needs to deal with it soon, otherwise- the warships spoiling for a fight might spoil for a fight with each other, and that might cause an entirely different catastrophe. Yes. <laughs> let's So let's maybe try to avoid that catastrophe so we can deal with this other catastrophe 
one catastrophe at a time, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Johnny's like, we need to go. She has kind of a wave of dizziness as she gathers up her things and heads out, which Nick probably correctly identifies as the warding spell she cast. Yeah, it's that spell on her laptop that's, that's taken it out of her. And Nick is overcome by a strange conflicting emotion because on the one hand he kind of wants to reach out and comfort her and on the other hand he kind of wants to reach out and throw her down the stairs right so the dark thoughts have crept in he mentions it's not like he's been corrupted or convinced it's like he's been polluted that's literally the word he uses yeah that's the word he uses is polluted but because he doesn't remember his creepy dream right it's just it's just these really dark thoughts creeping in and he doesn't understand why and because he's nick Everything is derogatory. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it is very much filtered through his perspective, too. And he he begins to wonder if he's just starting to really grow resentful of her. And it's just like the proximity and the stress that's making him start to have these really dark impulses that he fortunately has not uh, acted on. Spoiler alert, will not act on in this chapter. Because, again, he can't identify the source. Now, he woke up after opening his mouth to say something at the end of last chapter. But we don't know what he said. So a lingering question could be, did he accept the bargain? I don't think he did. But then the question further becomes, why does he now have these dark thoughts? I can't help but wonder if maybe the Ancient Ones incepted him, basically. Maybe. Like, this could be inception. That's, it, it's what it feels like. like it they, really is what it feels like. They planted the seed, even though he didn't accept the bargain. And now his subconscious mind is just kind of like dwelling on that. Yeah, because they want her dead. Oh, very much so. So, like, like Nick has become their weird, unwilling sleeper agent, kind of, sort of? That's kind of the case here. He has been Manchurian candidated, <laughs> is the implication, unless he did accept the bargain. Because, again, we don't know one way or the other. And he clearly might not remember if he did. Well, he clearly does not. Yeah, so. One thing that is interesting, though, about this is that his perspective has shifted on Johnny as well, because when he comes back and she's spouting off all of this, all these terrible things about, like, things are much worse than I thought, and this might be much more complicated than I thought, he has this moment of clarity where he's like, no, you know what? It's not as complicated as you think. And there's a really simple solution, and I know what it is. And for the first time in my life, that makes me better than you. <laughs> like, there's just this moment of clarity where he has that that epiphany, but he doesn't act on it because subconsciously he knows that the simple solution is just to kill Johnny. Yes, but because that's... Con- that's conflicting with oh, his... Uh, with his... Uh, all the rest of his character. It's so conflicting with the rest <laughs> of his character. Like, it's so out of nowhere yeah. for him. He, like you said, he doesn't know where it's coming from. So it's just really thrown him for a loop. Yeah, yeah. So Johnny walks him to a cafe because... They need to eat. It's been a while. Yeah. And despite the fact that the clock is ticking, they, they do need to refuel. Uh, so they, they quickly scarf down a meal. The whole time, again, Nick continues to feel off. Something is not right, but he can't put his finger on it. And he continues to be down on himself. Yeah. So this is just going to be a horrible spiral of negativity. Well, it, it is largely through the rest of this uh, chapter, too. En route to Akhmatov's place after they uh, have a bite to eat, they spot a news article on someone's TV through their window. While they cannot hear it, it's pretty clear what it is. Yeah. Rutger and Johnny's parents are all interviewed. There's footage from the Morocco airport. There's big splash images of them. Yeah, great big reward. Yeah. Money. And 
to be fair, Johnny's actually impressed at the size of the reward for just information about them, which is something like $100,000. And she flat wonders where Rutger's getting that money. And Nick says, you're probably paying for your own reward. Like, it's it's likely He's coming out of your funds. Wrong. Yeah. Uh, Nick points out that this is going to be a problem because now they're bounty. And that means every half bit Boba Fett is going to be looking for them. <laughs> And Johnny's like, eh, that is a problem, but it actually is going to motivate the police more because that's a lot of money around here. And the police would much rather get their hands on it than allow some yeah, some nobody bounty hunter to collect it. So they're going to be more motivated. Mm-hmm. And she's not wrong there either. Yeah. Nick Lumley points out, eh, you know what, That's not that does not bode well for us because lost kids are found all the time. And Johnny's like, nonsense, plenty of lost kids go missing forever. And he's like, yeah, because they're dead. <laughs> yeah, which is horrible. And she's like, stop being a Debbie Downer. <laughs> <laughs> and then this next little bit was surprisingly satisfying to me when they actually get into a fight, like a real honest-to-God fight. Over Rutger, no less. I know. Yeah, because Nick finally voices the suspicion he's had since the Morocco airport, yeah. which is that Rutger sold them out. And Johnny's like, I don't know that he did. And Nick's like, um, he's literally the only one who could have done it. He was the only other person who knew where we were going. So unless one of us sold the other out, it has to have been him. He pushes her because he wants her to admit that it was a mistake to trust Rutger. And she's like, it was not a mistake to trust Rutger because, number one, you don't know Rutger, like, at all. Nick doesn't know him. Nick doesn't want to know him. Yeah. And if he did sell us out, it was certainly motivated by the right reasons. And she's not wrong there either. Which we've also posited. Exactly. We talked about this previous chapters. We've speculated wildly, perhaps irresponsibly, that maybe there's something sinister there. That because he is one of the few other people who could potentially replicate the box. But the honest likelihood is probably he was doing it out of concern. Yeah. She's a teenage girl. Yes, she's a super genius, but she's still a teenage girl who is now gallivanting around the globe. Well, and for all intents and purposes, he's kind of her legal guardian because she's uh, largely emancipated from her parents and I he suppose. is her he is her like personal assistant he's her travel buddy he's the adult in the room whether johnny likes it or not and she frequently says well we're both adults she's not she's legally a teenager and that means that it is not as easy as her just getting up and gallivanting around the world with a friend that's true johnny kind of rallies to rutger's defense uh saying you know it hasn't been easy for him imagine being a promising college student, a genius in your own right, and suddenly you're working for a six-year-old girl. Like, that didn't look good to his family. That didn't look good to, like, professionally for him. He sacrificed a lot to hang with me, and that's to his credit. And Nick is like, I don't care, because at the end of the day, he betrayed you. (laughs) And that betrayal is more important and speaks more to his character. You don't make a promise if you intend to break the promise. Yeah, Nick's really hung up on that broken promise, which he's he's not wrong to do that. But we also don't know solidly, 100%, that it was Rutger. Yeah. Like, yes, there is evidence to support it. It's a, quite a bit of Nick, circumstantial evidence. Nick certainly believes it, but he is jumping to a conclusion. Yeah. Now, as usual, their fight gets cut off before it can have any sort of resolution. Which... It was so hard to read. I was like, no, just have it out, you two. Like, this fight has been building since the beginning of the book. Well, this fight has been ongoing since the beginning of the book. Yes, and I would like them to finally, 
like hash it out and not stop halfway through. But they always, always, always get cut off before they can have any sort of catharsis or epiphany. I want them to finish this fight so bad. So having been interrupted, they head down the street and Nick's seething quickly turns to more violent impulses. How he could just like drag her down an alley right now and be done with her. Right. Lots of alleys here. Lots of dark spaces. Pretty yeah. easy to kill someone. They uh, they turn a corner and walk directly into a parade, basically. Yeah. A wedding parade. Yeah. There's uh, just like a sea of noise and people and... Like raining flower petals from the sky. Like it just, it sounds, it sounds like a weird international version of Mardi Gras. Well, I mean, I've... <laughs> I've seen weddings locally. We live in a multi-ethnic neighborhood. Yes, we do. Uh, and I've seen some uh, some wedding parades. <laughs> I want to be part of a wedding parade someday. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, they like there is notifications go up on the streets. Uh, great. A, a, usually a few days before to let you know that there's uh, there's going to be a big to do, uh, and they look fun. Honestly, they look like a good time. Huge crush of people, lots of noise, and very quickly. The two of them get separated. When the crowd has passed, Nick realizes that Johnny is gone. And yeah. she he doesn't know what happened. Like, did she just get, like, kind of swept away with the people? Was she snatched by someone? Spoiler alert, she was snatched by someone. Yeah, well, they were standing on the sidewalk, right? And this huge crush of people comes through. And he's busy watching the people. And then he turns to look beside him. And she's not there anymore. Yeah. With a rising sense of panic, he realizes he's alone. And realizes that without Johnny there, he suddenly doesn't have access to money, doesn't have access to the language. Like, it it really is like a sudden existential terror that strikes him. Yeah, he is genuinely lost and alone right now. He searches his bag for the phone Johnny gave him, and surprise, it's gone. Uh, he never even got to use it. And he realizes, uh, admittedly a little later in the chapter, that stupidly he had put it right in the front pocket where well, it could easily be stolen. Yes. He put it somewhere where it was easy to get to for him and therefore easy to get to by anybody else. And very noticeable yes. by its like shape sticking out of the pocket. Yeah. Nick falls back on his big brother instinct, which is, okay, like if you get lost at the mall with the other kids, you need to wait. You need to stand still so the other person can find you. Because if you're both moving, you're never going to find each other. But then, as he's standing there for a couple minutes, it dawns on him, no, this actually solves a lot of my problems. Because now she's gone. Yeah, like my weird urge to murder her, my constant worry that I've been a burden to her, my fear over being swept up in something I could barely comprehend. Like, if she's gone, that solves all of those problems. If I just conveniently don't find her again, it's off of my back. And a weird burden lifts from him in that moment. Yeah, but that's really that's really only a half-formed kind of thought. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we know she's in danger in this moment. Or at least as much danger as Johnny ever seems to be in. But yeah, <laughs> because, because Johnny. Because she's incredibly lucky. Even so... He needs to find someone who can help him. So he he catches back up to the wedding party and wonders, like, there's a lot of people here. Surely someone must speak English and could point me at a Canadian embassy. So he tails them, kind of gets swept up by them, actually. Partway through, someone, like, grabs him and is just like, this guy must be part of the party. And he just kind of gets swept along. Yeah, someone throws an arm around him and they've been drinking, right? Yep. So, like, we're, we're all friends here. Uh, and he gets taken to an event hall where he he separates himself from them, grabs himself like a cup of coffee. Hmm. Kind of accidentally crashes a wedding. Yeah, and then 
gets crashed himself by another wedding crasher. Because <laughs> yeah. one of Drazenoth's thralls throws an arm around his neck and drags him into the shadows. Right? And he's all gross and bubbly in the mouth. And, like, it's clearly a thrall. Yeah. Now, fortunately, Nick has armed himself with a weapon. A hot cup of coffee. <laughs> That he uh, throws in the thing's face, managing to escape. But as he runs, he quickly gets herded by some others into kind of a dead end. Yeah, the problem with all of these dark alleys and corners and good murdery places is that you get caught in these dark alleys and corners and murdery places. Yeah. Things are not looking great until an unfamiliar girl calls out his name and distracts the thralls long enough for him to get away. Yeah. And then he runs, like, literally smack into Johnny. Yeah. Thank goodness. Maybe. So the good news is he's found Johnny. The bad news is... He's found Johnny. He's found Johnny. Um, And he's also met this other girl who quickly catches up to them, a girl by the name of Sophia. Johnny immediately assumes she's with the Serati Society, and she confirms her father is Louis D'Souza, who is a member of the group. Yes. Nick asks how she found them, and she's like, um... It's not hard to follow the two of you. You keep drawing attention to yourselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> She's kind of got them there. You you might have thrown a ward spell over yourself, but a ward spell doesn't exactly uh, stop people from noticing the trail of destruction in your wake. That's true. Johnny tells her to beat it, but she kind of stands her ground here and is like, listen, the society needs to know what's going on. And Johnny's like, uh, you don't get paid for rescuing me. And she cuts back with, everyone gets paid for helping you. And it's like, ouch. <laughs> true uh shots fired yeah uh though nick points out he seems to be the only one who doesn't get paid he should get paid uh he has refused payment in the past though because yeah. he's too proud to get paid well, to of all, of what i'm saying is of all the people who deserve to be paid it's probably nick yeah <laughs> it's probably nick johnny dismisses her again confirms that nick has lost his phone <laughs> kind of rolls her eyes at him and uh the two head off but sophia Continues to follow, making the case that there there are factions within the Serati society. They aren't all like the Fez chapter, which has apparently been a little sketchy and suspect for a while. And they're just trying to help. And Johnny's like, you're not trying to help. You're trying to hitch a ride out of the end of the world. Like, I, I see you. <laughs> and Nick is like, you know, you've been saying we need help. And Johnny's like, no, we don't need their help. Okay. So something happened somewhere that caused Johnny to completely change her mind. And I'm not exactly sure where that was. Hard to say. Because she did ask for their help. Yeah. Uh, but When she first realized something was happening. But if I remember correctly, by the time we ran into Helen and Tariq, mm-hmm. she was already like, no, I'm done with you people. Yeah, she was cold on them. Yeah. So I wonder what it was that Johnny found that made her realize that she didn't want their help anymore. Um, I'm going to posit a bit of speculation. Sure. We're good at that. Johnny has mentioned that the Serati Society used to worship the Ancient Ones, but whatever communicated with Nick has suggested that Johnny is not empowered by the Ancient Ones. She's empowered by something worse. Right. So she might not want to hang with the Serati Society because they are actually the enemies of whatever terrible thing is actually empowering her. Oh, maybe. Like, Nick had originally suggested that she might be trying to keep her distance because they don't know about her covenant and they might be able to sniff it out on her and might be upset about it. But what if it's actually worse than that? What if she's working at cross purposes with them and they are trying to save the world? I Honestly, at this point, it really wouldn't surprise me. Mm. Either way, 
Johnny again wishes Sophia a good day, and Sophia finally kind of relents and lets them go. Nick wonders if they've just made themselves another enemy <laughs> instead of a friend, because all they seem to do is make themselves enemies. I don't know if it's an enemy per se, so much as simply not a friend. Yeah. Right? Like that gray area in between. And she doesn't wish them harm. Yeah. And Johnny's like, you know what? If I need to, I'll fix that relationship in the future. Right now, we don't need to worry about it. And hopefully, I'll never have to see these guys again. That's quite the attitude to take in this situation. Yeah. We just need to save the world. But, I mean, we don't need the help of the people probably best qualified to assist us. Because I don't like them personally. It's the I'll fix it later Thing. There might not be a later. Well, first of all, there might not be a later. Second of all, like, is Johnny's version of fixing it later just, like, I'll give them some money and it'll all go away? Probably. <sighs> because she's not exactly personable. No. She continues to be dislikable. Nick, however, seems to have a bit of an epiphany that pleases her. Uh, because he says, you know, I think I'm starting to kind of get where you're coming from, at least. Because... Back when we were taken hostage as kids, no one seemed to be willing to help. And we ended up having to kind of take care of business on our own. And I kind of get the sense that that's where you're coming from here. You don't expect anyone else to help. So you're taking or care of it by yourself. the quote unquote help that they're going to offer isn't actually help. Yeah. So you, you need to take the reins and get it done. And Johnny seems pleased by this. She's like, yeah, that's basically the case. Okay. So now... By the time we got to the end of the chapter, I really felt like Johnny and Nick were on the same page about motivation, at least. But from my point of view, it's like Johnny is saving the world by herself out of spite. Well, and hubris, because she earnestly believes she's the only person who can do it. Yeah, because the adults need to be shown that she can do it. Kind of, yeah. Right? And, and because she's too proud to admit she made a mistake. Because she's the one who caused it, and she's trying to take care of it before anybody notices and calls her to account for doing it. Right? Like I said, she's saving the world out of spite. Yeah, it's she. her motivation is all wrong. Right? And so I'm worried that her pride is going to get in the way of them actually saving the world because she needs to do it by herself. Or she thinks she needs to do it by herself. Yeah. I'm scared that that's going to come back and bite them, and it's going to cost... It's going to cost Nick. Well, I mean... At the end of the day, Nick might also just murder her. Maybe. That's been planted in his mind now. Yeah. But and this isn't the first time he's been approached about doing some manner of harm to Johnny. But this is the first time that after being approached about doing some harm to Johnny, he has started to have very serious impulses to do harm to Johnny. Yeah. I just, at this point, I think Nick's positive feelings toward Johnny still outweigh his negative feelings toward Johnny. Currently. Currently. But uh as of the end of this chapter. The direction that the uh the direction that their relationship is going is not currently a positive one. Especially because as we've pointed out, they keep not having the ability to resolve their differences. They have a fight and then it's cut off and oh. then everything's just left hanging. They I haven't want them to they finish haven't been that able to hash it out. So badly. So badly I want them to finish this fight. And I want them to do it before the end of the world so that they can actually save the world. Have to wait and see if that happens. Yes. Will it happen in chapter 19? Probably not. We can find out, though, by <laughs> reading up on chapter 19 in time yes. for next week. 
you'll want to do that. And in the meantime, I mean, we've we've mentioned them before. They're a not-so-secret society in Edmonton. They're the Edmonton <laughs> Community Foundation. We've talked about them a lot. And unlike perhaps the Sorati Society, hard to say, they do want to help people. And they want to help people by allowing them to put together endowment funds to funnel back into the community. And they have a podcast talking about how you can do it and how it's being done. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Onkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out the wellendowedpodcast.com. Well Endowed Podcast. Good people talking about good things. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice you thing. can find out more about them and the other sponsors of the network right now at the network website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. There are plenty of other podcasts there to check out as well, uh, including some new ones I've mentioned over the past couple of weeks, but we, we did just have some recent additions to the network. Uh, you can find probably most of those podcasts on your podcatcher of choice while you're there. Be sure to give us a little rating and review. That helps us out. We appreciate feedback. You can also give us feedback on social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those. Pretty easy to find. We can also be reached via email. We are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much and we'll see you next time. Stick together, people. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.